0: You are listening to The No Formula Podcast, episode number 52. Welcome back to where we chat with a different entrepreneur every week. From app developers, sales experts, and coaches, to authors and social media influencers, we focus on their journeys, how they built their businesses, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Together, we confirm that there is no formula to success. I want to thank all the listeners that have been supporting the No Formula podcast. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think about the interviews and don't forget to subscribe. Ritesh Patel is the co-founder of Ticket Ferry, an all-in-one solution for event management. This year, they reached $100 million in ticket sales. In this episode, Ritesh tells us about the biggest challenge they had to overcome how they are disrupting the live events industry, and how they grew during the pandemic. Check out TicketFairy.com for your event needs. In the meantime, keep listening to hear how the founder of Twitch fits into this story. Hi, Ritesh. Thank you so much for being on the No Formula podcast.
1: Hi. How are you doing?
0: I am great. I have so many questions for you about TicketFairy. First and foremost, especially so the audience gets to know what your platform is all about. Can you tell us what Ticket Fairy is?
1: Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's a little bit different to what people might expect. I think primarily people get misled by the word ticket in the uh in the name of the company. Um, if you took everything you need within the event live events ecosystem, that would help you to make revenue optimize marketing, collect the right data, um, solve consumer issues, manage your event, and really kind of grow your event operation, that's what we are. So we're kind of like ticketing, both primary and secondary, we're a reward system, we're conversion conversion optimization and digital marketing software, we're CRM, Um, also budgets and financials management, um, logistics to do with operationally managing the event and also the technology to get people into the event as fast as possible. It's, it's really this very layered stack of technology that we've built by working very closely with very large events companies and going, where are your business gaps and your financial gaps and your operational gaps? And. And you're having to use so many different systems at the moment and they don't talk to each other. And if you could create your ideal platform that solved as many of your issues as possible beyond like, you know, physical stuff that you can't control, like, you know, a hurricane or whatever, Mm -hmm. on the digital side, what would, what would it be? And, and, you know, we used our own experience as well and, and kind of incrementally just built something that, um, there's all of those things in one.
0: I I went on your website and it's absolutely crazy to how many cool features you have. I've I've done uh, many events. I'm I've done event marketing, and I've used like Eventbrite and things like that. And your platform does not even compare a little bit. It's crazy. You have like that music feature.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That yeah,
1: that's the Spotify data.
0: Yeah. Okay. So can you explain to us a little bit about that? Just because I think that's so interesting.
1: Yeah. Sure. So um. I think the biggest thing, let's just say, let's just say we focus for a second on, on live music and Mm. festivals and things like that. The bulk of the cost for those shows is the talent. And it, you know, you're spending so much money, potentially millions or tens of millions of dollars on the artist fees. And obviously like the talent buyer has a specific gut feel about what's going to work and what's not going to work um to to work out you know is there going to be an roi on on booking this this artist or not and um what they often don't have is a real insight into listening habits of of their customers and what we can do is not necessarily in the purchase process of of buying a ticket but maybe like when someone's registering interest they're signing up to be notified of when an event's going on sale there are workflows that we have where Consumers or AE event attendees can connect their Spotify accounts, and then we're able to see what their favorite artists are, what playlists they listen to, what tracks they have downloaded on their devices for offline listening, which means they're, they're, they're ones that they listen to a lot, um, and, and really build a profile aggregated over an entire event or a series of events, or you know, a hundred shows historically over, over years where the talent buyer has now uh, a set of metrics where they can go. Well, you know what i didn't know that this artist was actually gaining popularity within my crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see a trend. I can now use that knowledge to go and approach the agent or the artist directly and, and and book that person or band or whatever it is well in advance and and that's so important from the perspective of maximizing margins for for the organizer because they really need to know like like if if I yeah. spend 100 grand on this person, is that a waste of money? Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is that like in any given touring season, the there are only really like 10 or so A-list artists that are touring at any given time, which is why you see the same ones across all the set the festivals across a given country because they're on a tour, right? And they have a yeah. two, three month period of time where they're promoting an album or you know, they've just come out of retirement or whatever it is. And, and then what you do, have after that like so there's only so many people to choose from and that's you're not going to need the data for that you just know that there's the a-list yeah and then there's the middle section or the middle tier of artists which is where you really need to make sure that you spend your money wisely And, and that's where this data can come in 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 handy because you just have a little bit more insight into whether you should be spending 50k on one person or you could spend that on 10 artists at 5k each yeah and that's really important from the perspective of maximizing, not even profitability, because festivals are really hard to become uh, to become profitable. It's just a case of like, am I going to lose money? Is this going to take me into the red? And once you have that insight, then what's really nice for the talent buyer is that then they've got this freedom for the experimental and underground acts where they may not have had that budget before because they had to like maximize the chance of a show going into profit.
2: Mm -hmm. And then
1: now you've got this talent buyer going, oh, wow, I can book this person. And before it would have been a risk, but now it's not. And I can expose this this new music and this new artist to a whole new group of people. And that's my real artistic expression. And that's what really makes an event individual. And it's not the same talent as everyone else. But usually what happens is that the talent buyer can't take that risk. And so we can give them that insight and and actually allow them to make not 100% data-driven decisions, but actually just kind of either confirm their, their suspicions or their, or their instinct, and that frees up 200K in a budget. And now they can use that to really drive n- new experimental bookings. That, I think that's a really powerful thing for, for a festival.
0: I think that feature is brilliant. When I saw that, I was like, oh my God, that's so clever. And it really helps event managers to optimize their budget, which is so essential, especially for the bigger events with, you know, all those A-listers that cost a heavy penny. And yeah. I'm just curious, when did, you, when did you create Ticket Founder? I know you created it with your brother, but what year was it?
1: Um, we put the first event live in 2011. Um, which is a, obviously a really long time ago, but it was so low-key uh-huh. that the first year was just shows I was throwing myself because I couldn't <laughs> convince anyone else to use it.
0: So then what changed? How did you start convincing other people to use it?
1: I, I, I guess it's like, because the thing is, is, if you're thinking about ticketing, you're basically the the conduit for the revenue of the show, right? And if you're a promoter that's, got a hundred grand or a million or even 10,000 riding on, on a gig, mm-hmm. the last thing you want is the technology failing and you're not actually able to collect revenue. So people just don't trust a new platform. And it was kind of like, all right, well, if I use it on my own, if there's a bug, I can fix it. I can log into the system. I can push the fix. It will go live. I don't have to worry about me complaining to myself. It's all good. <laughs> um and uh and then kind of like you know you go forward a year and you're like all right my friends that were all really supportive about the idea but still wouldn't quite be comfortable enough with putting their gigs through it now they're gonna do that
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: then you know you get to like outside of that and it's friends of friends and and then you still you know again you're kind of almost starting from zero there's a slight trust but you have to start with a 500 person show and then it takes Three months to build the case study, and then you can you get trusted with a thousand person show.
2: Mm-hmm. And it just takes
1: like you know, it takes three to six months to build every case study where you can go to the next level up in terms of event size. And uh, and so yeah, like it's 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 such a risky industry because like obviously no VC is gonna fund that. They're gonna yeah. be like, come to me when you've got X amount of traction. Mm-hmm. We've seen about 150 of these platforms in the last year, we funded X amount, you know, like. If none of them had any traction, what makes you different? And it was just like, all right, guys, I'll come back to you when I can prove it.
0: But you started in 2011, which means in about two years, you're going to be an overnight success. Absolutely. I right? am Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> i feel it. You got me even more excited. I'm like, wow, this, this platform is going to blow up. But now it's not everywhere in the world. Can you tell everybody where, where it is now in case they want to use it?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, the US, a little bit of Canada, uh, UK, we can do mainland Europe as well, uh, New Zealand, Australia, India. Um, we're gonna experiment with um, with Latin America at some point um, next year. It was gonna be this year, but COVID kind of pushed that away. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't quite done like Middle East, Asia, Russia yet. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a few hurdles you have to go over in terms of local knowledge and how the markets work. So. We're kind of doing primarily um, English-speaking markets at the moment, and then Spanish-speaking,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and mostly music. But we've done a load of stuff in esports and um, gaming and kind of popular culture. Oh, that's cool. As well.
0: So I was going to kind of talk about your childhood and how you and your brother are very close. You guys started other businesses together. You had you actually started a few other businesses before that had to shut down because of the recession. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to go into all that. However, that was my summary for everybody because you said you started this in 2011, (laughs) which means that you've had a lot of ups and downs in the last nine years. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's get into this. So 2011, you launch it, you start using it. Eventually, you start growing the platform. At what point did you tell yourself, okay, people are finally starting to use it. It's gaining traction. Do you remember that point?
1: Um, I think it was the first time an external platform, an external event, sorry, was trust- trustworthy enough to use us. Um, it was a festival in, in Italy mm-hmm. um, where... It's an eight-day long event, super high profile. Um they they just had a level of reputation where them taking a risk on us was such a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that really became this moment in time. And the the festival's called Summon Base, so let's give them a plug. They're great. <laughs> um and I I was kind of like, this is a really big milestone for us because, and and they're, 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 they won't mind me saying this, they're really fussy. Like they're (laughs) very, they're very specific about what they like, how they work. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Germans running an electronic music festival in a coastal town in Italy, right? Like it's, it's, it's very, very specific. Okay. Um, And it it runs for eight days and the logistics involved to run an eight day festival are massive. Yeah, it's crazy. And you know, like we didn't even have the ticket scanning app and ready until the night before doors opened.
0: It's always like that though. It's always the night before.
1: <laughs> right. But, but the thing was, is that they, and they knew that, right? Like, and it was like, it was just one of those ones where they were super trustworthy, trust, like they trusted us.
0: What um, year was this? Sorry for cutting off. in 2014. Okay, so you launched in two thousand and eleven in two thousand and fourteen huge milestone. yeah, and that does that change everything after?
1: Um, no, because people still refuse to fund us we we basically I mean the, the number of rejection emails that that hmm. we have with okay. like a, oh, this is not quite our sweet spot. Oh, this is not really a thing that we want to get involved with. I really
0: um, hope you turn all those rejection emails into like wallpaper one day. And there's just... enough,
1: there's enough to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's enough to write a book. And, and it's really nice because there's a similar, there's a blog post by one of the founders of Airbnb where they're actually, they paste all their rejection emails and the names are of who rejected them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually been this thing where it inspires you because if you look at Airbnb now, Mm-hmm. and how they started like they were it was like an inflatable bed on a floor they were selling branded cereal to help fund the company like you know it's like super scrappy and and yeah. i was kind of like you know if they can if that's the way it is for them and you know we've gone through a lot of a lot of upside downs in the previous businesses so it's kind of like that didn't break our souls nothing was going to break our souls
0: mm-hmm. so at this point everyone's rejecting you how are you dealing with this rejection?
1: I deal with it better than my brother deals with it. Okay. He's kind of like, screw these guys. We're not going <laughs> to any more VCs. And I'm I'm he's like, these guys are wasting our time. And I'm like, it's okay, it's part of the process. Mm-hmm. It will be all right. <laughs> and it's like uh, you know, it's a balance because he's like, we'll just do this ourselves. Yeah. And and I was kind of like, well, we kind of have billion-dollar companies to compete against, so we yeah. we're gonna need a little assistance
0: so um, basically the goal to grow was to get funding
1: i, I think 2014 yeah. yeah i mean we've been trying to raise money for a really long time um and you know like we'd exhibit at conferences and you know that would turn into nothing and, and it was just like one of those ones where it was just a constant uphill struggle trying to try, mm-hmm. and, try and make that happen um and then randomly we exhibited at a Conference called the Web Summit in Dublin, and um, had a stand. And we'd exhibited one of their conferences earlier in the year, like one of the smaller ones. And i kind of built up a rapport with the startups team. And for this one in Dublin, they, they had a load of office hours sessions with kind of established investors, and they were advice sessions. And we kind of got to a point where we were starting to sign up clients, and it was a two-person unfunded company, and we were just like, "There's no way we can do this." So. Um, I signed up for for one of the advice sessions, asked the startups team if there was any chance of being approved for it. They did it. Um, And it was with Justin Kahn, who was the original founder of Twitch. And he was the guy that strapped a camera to his head and walked around and live streamed it. And then the technology behind it eventually turned into into Twitch and they sold it to Amazon for just under a billion. And he was the one that, I had this advice session with, and so like I sat down with him and I was like, and he was really, he'd he'd sold Twitch and he was into raving and and, and EDM at the time, and like he'd built some hobby projects uh, around music, so I was like, you know, we're, we're starting to get real interest from clients, but there's, we just need to build a team around it to support the, to support that because we can't do it. I was like, I'm the only engineer, I'm writing all the code um you know, This is not. It's not possible to service a ten thousand person event just with us two. He's like, all right, tell me about the business. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, it's this and it's this, and this is how, what we do, and we have this rewards thing, and this drives loads of revenue. And he was like, this sounds really interesting. Maybe I'll invest. <gasps> and I was like. Oh, okay. Um, and he goes. Let me do these next two sessions. Hang around for me. We'll go and get lunch. I'm speaking after lunch, but we'll go and get lunch. So now I'm like, all right, this is nuts, but cool. Um, and we go, and I walk with him after he's done his, his sessions, and we go, you know, we go to a pub in. It's, we're in Ireland, so we go to a pub nearby, and grab food, and um, I'm talking to him about it, and just like tell him about all the stuff that happened in the recession, with all the stuff that my brother and I went through with all the ups and downs there. Like, you no, know, it was really candid. Um, no, no, nothing, nothing left unturned. It was like, this is ev- all the shit that's happened. Mm-hmm. And then like we finish lunch and he's got his, his talk to do. So we walk back through and we, you know, we go back through the backstage and we're still talking. And, he, and then he goes and does his talk. And he's like, meet me again tomorrow. Um, I want you to demo the system to me and a friend of mine. And so, which my brother and I shot the next day, and the guy, the other guy, was a guy called Marcus Segal, who was um, CEO of Zynga, the gaming company.
0: Oh my gosh! So just so like, everybody, uh, just okay. Okay, I have a question about this. Continue. Yeah.
1: So, so we do the demo, and like our backend, our UI was just like terrible back then. I just I knew it worked, but mm-hmm. the UI was terrible. So like I did the demo, and I showed him results that we showed them both results that we've, we've got for clients so far. I was like, look at this, we managed to help an event make 20% more revenue, which is like your, totally your profit margin. So I was like, I think this is really good. And that week we finally hit a million dollars in ticket sales. So like that, the timing of that was like, we just hit a million bucks in total ticket sales. And you know it took us like three years to do that. Mm-hmm. It took a really long time. And, um, and they looked at it and they went, this is kind of cool. Like, Ideally, the UI would be would be good. And then Justin goes, I think that between me and my friends, like we can we can get you around 300 and 350k. I was like, all right. He goes, send me a deck. Oh my. Okay. And um and then we walk away from that, and I didn't send him the deck. <gasps> what? Because as far as it raising money goes, like if they don't tell you yes, it's a no. Everything else is being polite. So you so never, think,
0: you never followed up.
1: I never sent in the deck, and then and this was like November two thousand and fourteen, and then we got a client early two thousand and fifteen, and I was kind of you know I was based in the UK, so I was going back and forth to America every so often to try and raise money and failing every time, mm-hmm. and um, and. February 2015, I was at an event and the client ran. The client that we got was running an event on Richard Branson's private island in the Caribbean, Necker Island. And I got to go as a result of that. In fact, no, I'm lying. I've managed to get an invite to it. We, they weren't a client yet. That comes, in, that comes a year from then.
2: Um, okay.
1: Which is another story. But, uh, <laughs> but like I went to this event and I was like well there'll be a load of tech people in VCs like it was a, it was a pitch competition where the final was being judged by Richard Branson
2: mm-hmm. on the island
1: and I was like okay I'm gonna book that and I'm gonna book a week in San Francisco just in case I make some good contacts and then we can do follow-ups and whatever and so I went to and you know didn't get any real follow-up real contacts on the island but I was still had the book to San Francisco the trip to San Francisco so booked so I went and then like the sixth day or something like that. I was like, oh, Justin's in San Francisco. I should email him. I was like, can we catch up? And he was oh, like-
0: Oh my <laughs> gosh, okay.
1: <laughs> and he replies and goes, yeah, cool. Meet me for a coffee near my, near my place. And, and um, you know, like it's 9, 8, 9 a.m. tomorrow. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was supposed to fly out that night. And he comes along with his, his assistant, Nick, and he looks at, looks at me and goes, why didn't you take my money in November? i was like you didn't say yes he goes fine i'll write you a check today (gasps) he's like cancel your flight and raise the rest of your round
0: what that's what happened
1: that's what happened um so it's essentially i ghosted justin can for a few months (laughs) you made him want you (laughs) it wasn't even that i was just like if he didn't say yes at the time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we'd already been rejected a hundred times, right? So it's like, oh, this is just another one of those. Mm-hmm. Like, Crazy. why am I gonna do that? Why am I gonna put ourselves through this emotional roller coaster of, you know, founder of Twitch showing interest and then he's gonna say, he didn't say yes. So like, no, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna do that.
0: Do you think there was, a, there was a difference because you met him in person and your talk with him was all in person?
1: But all of them were in person. Like, oh, okay yeah, it was, it was always that. Like if I never took an investor meeting with just over, over the phone or, or on, a, on, a, on a video call. Oh um, my gosh.
0: That's so crazy. I feel so like, like, like I'm at right. lunch with a friend and you're just telling me like a story, like a gossipy
1: story. <laughs> and what, what was really cool is that like he had, you know, he obviously sold Twitch by that point and he had co-founders and he had other people that he co-invested with. So he was like, all right, I'm going to make a load of intros because, you know, even if you want, you can stay at my place while you're, while you're raising the rest of the round. I was like, no, 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 that's maybe just a bit too much. <laughs> Fine, like I'll find somewhere cheap and it's it's cool. Um, and I, I you know I extended my flight and he was like, All right, I'm gonna introduce you to the current CEO of Twitch, who because he'd left by that point. He was you know, he'd exited and and, and moved on. So like, no, the next I was Tikon Bernstein, Bernstein, who was like founder of um a few different companies like Scribd and uh, and Pass, which was like a Facebook acquisition back in the day. And so I met him and Justin wrote us the first check, and then he wrote us the second check, and then the third one was the CEO of Twitch, and he wrote us the third check. And then the next one was the CEO of Twitch, and then the next one was um, Steve Huffman, who's CEO of Reddit, and then the next one was Amit Mergen, who's creator of FarmVille, and the next one was Daniel Gross, who became head of machine learning at Apple, and I was like, whoa, we've just got like Rolls-Royce level investors through this random thing that, we, that just like, on the off chance I sent an email
0: oh my goodness that is just yeah that is just like the heaven of investors all at once
1: and and you know then he was like and you should apply to y combinator and put the application in and so we did that and got the interview and got in and became a yc company and it was absolutely insane
0: okay so then how does this change your business? Like you have to, now you have money. So now you have to change everything internally. You always have to start getting a team. What was like the first thing you guys had to do?
1: Um, we hired a CTO. Mm. And we hired the first couple of salespeople and kind of just tried to see what happened. And you know, by the time Justin invested, we kind of gone from 1 million in sales to 1.5. Again, it was really funny. The timing was like that week, we just hit 1.5. And it yeah. was just like, all those things that happened. And then did the YC program. And, um, and then it was really hard to raise money because people were still, it was funny because people were still like, uh, not really sure. And, uh, and so it was like a constant balance of like raising a little bit, getting some more traction, raising a little bit, getting some more traction.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: because people were still, even though we had that kind of pedigree,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it was only like the real believers, like, you know, we did YC and Aaron Zuckerberg invested. And I was like, all right, that's awesome. And a few other people came in and, I was, and they were really great people. And, you know, and, and that was amazing. But we didn't kind of do Y Combinator and, and raise a $3 million round. It just didn't happen, you know. It, like, it mm-hmm. came for a few hundred K at a time. Um, and we just so, it like that.
0: Just out of curiosity, because I've never raise money for a company before (laughs) but every time you raise money you're giving a portion to your company away right so are all these people still investors
1: yep yep oh my gosh that's crazy so Uh,
0: how many employees do you guys have now
1: so the team right now is 35 including a load of like permanent contractors that are kind Mm. of technically outside of the company, but they still work 40 hours a week and, and you know, they don't do anything for anyone else. So like, we've got kind of a, a flexible structure of like half salaried in-house and half outside, but they still do full hours. And and it's, it's been a really nice way to, to build the, the, the team because it makes things a little bit more flexible. You know, if we have a down period, like COVID, then at least like we can mm. scale it down if we need to. But, oh,
0: okay.
1: Yeah. It's like, it, it's, so it's around any given time around 35 people in the team
0: how many for for you guys to make a profit and you don't have to get into specific numbers but how many events do you guys have to host like per month on your platform or it how many really, tickets i guess yeah Sorry. It,
1: it really depends because like you know we we really only need to sell like 50,000 tickets a month to be profitable
0: only mm
1: I say only, it's actually really
0: hard. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's really tough because the thing is, is that it's not like it's a SaaS company where it's recurring revenue and it's subscriptions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're totally dependent at the moment anyway on the events timeline for going on sale. And like, they might go, we're going to sell 10,000 and they sell 1,000.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or they oh, go, true. oh, no, we're going on sale in two weeks and then they're like oh some stuff happened we're not going to go on sell for two months now
0: <sighs> so then and what happened during the pandemic
1: we got lucky because our biggest market was New Zealand and they were the actually the country <sighs> could deal with COVID the best
0: oh my goodness that is quite lucky yes because they're very,
1: very lucky so it got to it got to May and we had festivals that like we had 20,000 capacity festivals going back on sale
0: Like, I'm super happy for you guys, but damn, that's a little bit lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Cause I I saw one of your posts on LinkedIn that you guys reached a hundred million. And when you guys, that's ticket sales, meaning that.
1: Yeah, that's gross. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: And you know, what's really cool is that like, that's lifetime. So like, that's over nine years. Yeah. Um, And it took, it took until, february 2015 to get to 1.5 million so let's say like 98 and a half of it was in what five less than five years four and a half years so that's really what's really cool though is that more than 8 million of it was july august september of this year during covid
0: oh my goodness that's why i'm saying in two years you're going to be an overnight success exactly it's just going to grow exponentially
1: it's been really nice. Like we, a load of new people have started using us, big mm-hmm. festivals. Like we've had like festivals email us going, I spent half of my meeting the other day about my other business pitching you guys. <laughs> and you know, like it's really <laughs> cool.
0: That must feel so nice now. Now, do you feel more calm as you're growing the business?
1: The thing is, is that we're always trying to move a hundred times faster than we've got the resources for. Mm um so there's never a sense of calm it's it's like because for example right the, you you said that we've got loads more features than any platform you've seen mm. like, looking on the website that is half of the features i just didn't want to overload the page
0: <laughs> my god your pitches when you when you like do a sales call they must be crazy <laughs>
1: It, it it takes like, if I was to demo everything, it would take two hours.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Um, and the thing is, is that there's, it's not even like that's when we're done. Like we roll out one to two new features every week and we have a massive update coming in the next, like probably probably gonna kind of push to the beginning of next year, but like, again, it's gonna get way more sophisticated. And the thing is, is that like not not resting is, I think just the way you need to be because you have to assume that someone's behind you trying to catch up.
0: Oh, okay. I was gonna ask you like one to two new features every few weeks, that is very three intense. Oh, <gasps> that is so intense. Three.
1: No, it's, a, it's actually one to two features every week and we push code to the live system three to five times a day. Oh my
0: God, that is so intense. But I understand because you have to make sure that you're ahead of competition
1: right yeah absolutely and 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 it's not just that it's like we're so client focused that Mm -hmm. there will be things that someone needs and they're a new client and they can't go live with their event unless we have it and i'd rather not turn them away i'd I'd rather just be like if you're asking for it there will be a hundred other people that want it and we might and it it would have been on the roadmap in a year's time we're going to move it forward to this week
0: (sighs) Oh my God. That's so intense. So yeah, I know it's definitely not calming. I I see that now. And speaking of competition, because now you, you reached a hundred million dollars in sales. Are there other people in the industry that are at your level? Cause I don't know of very many of them like Eventbrite, you know, like the main ones.
1: Loads, loads. I mean, we're we're still comparatively small compared to most people. And I think that it's just been a case of like, we didn't, shout about everything um on purpose because it was just like we're just going to have our heads down and build and that's the most important thing right now that we're not because the more you shout about stuff the more competition get inspired get inspired about what you're doing and i'd just rather be like build things and have really happy clients and then unveil it (laughs) x number of years later and everyone's like where did all of that come from like i'd much Mm -hmm. rather be the like that people, the competition just goes holy shit! You are actually three years ahead of us. We're not catching up. You know that, that that's the that's the strategy I prefer.
0: Competitive advantage for sure. And also, speaking of being so ahead, so Zoom just announced that they will be installing this feature where you can host events on Zoom, but also have a paywall, which is very much competition to Ticket Ferry. So is. does that get you nervous? Nope. Uh, they said they were going to launch. Oh, they said they were going to in twenty twenty one. But you're not nervous.
1: No. So, so here's the thing. I mean, first of all, Zoom events are a very specific type of live event. Mm-hmm. Um, we we built an online events product um, during COVID uh, specifically, obviously to to kind of bridge that that gap in the industry where people were doing paid live streams and things like that. Um, but we actually did it as a where you could have multiple different platforms including zoom and we built like this native zoom integration. Um, you know, you create an an online event in ticket fairy, it auto creates your zoom meeting. It creates the paywall. It does all, you know, it does all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. um, which is cool. Um, and there are a few other companies who are trying to do that. And, and, and that's, that's nice. But the thing (laughs) is is that it's kind of, kind of a, what I would, say in in quotes, and it's going to make me sound like I'm not a very nice person, but it's cute (laughs) because because there are a load of online only events platforms that have sprung up during COVID and they're good. They're they're very competent at what they do and and they have these features and, and Zoom is not going away anytime soon, but we were built as a platform to help the live events industry. Mm-hmm. The online side of things is a small portion of that. It might be a big portion of that right now, but it's not a long term. That's true. It's not a long term majority portion of the live events industry. Mm-hmm. And so what's what's happening over the last six months is that there've been these online-only events platforms, and you know the the traditional ticketing platforms have kind of jumped on it as well. You know, like we built a feature, but but the thing is, is that the way that it needs to be, and this is very much just me vocalizing the way, my opinion about the way it needs to be, is that online events are a funnel and a bridge to physical events reopening. And when you think of it like that, everything you build around an online events product should be a channel to the physical events eventually reopening. There will be hybrid live and hybrid and, and online events. Yeah. But as we've, and we've been lucky to, to, to notice how this has happened in New Zealand. We had a load of events moved either, you know, go back on sale with us that were existing clients or started using us post COVID in New Zealand as those events reopened and it was the first time they'd ever used us. And then they're like 10, 15,000 person events. Every single one of those has either sold out or is selling out on record time. There's been a festival that we've been working with for three or four years now. They usually sell out end of December. They sold out mid-September, three and a half months early.
0: That is crazy. I guess people are just really excited.
1: People are really excited. There's another one that's been going, really famous festival, Rhythm and Alps, their 10th year anniversary Um, the first time they're using us, I think they moved from Eventbrite to us. Um, it's 10 plus thousand people. They have like 500 tickets left and it's not until New Year's.
0: Oh my, yeah. People are so excited.
1: Yeah, they are. They are really excited. And and the thing is, is that like, if you think of it in that context, Mm. everything you're doing in live, in online events should be a marketing funnel, should be like, pixels on your ad networks, it should be building mailing lists, building interaction, making sure people don't forget you, but you're creating your CRM. Mm -hmm. All of that should be a channel to when you relaunch your physical events. And if you're doing it as an, if you're doing something in an online only platform and then you have to try and export that data and try and use it in something else to market your physical ones, that's a lot of work. And it's not native and it's kind of like, well, the way we built our online stuff is like this is going to be a way for you to get your physical stuff back up and running and accelerate that not this is the be all and end all of of everything you're ever going to do in the future because it's just not true
0: yeah i i'm just thinking because you mentioned that there are a lot of new companies during the pandemic that are starting to do online events and you said it was cute um but they're thinking short term. We should be thinking long term, whereas when everything goes back to normal, we're all going to be doing these live events and probably even more so than we were doing before.
1: Yeah. I really think that it's going to be yeah. massive acceleration in terms of people's desperation to interact mm-hmm. with. with yeah. <laughs> again. Um, you know, I spent six months in quarantine with my parents and and it's kind of one, like, I love them and, and it, was a, it was really quality time and I would not give it up whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that like, as you start being able to interact with other people and seeing old friends and being in a crowd of 20,000 people, mm-hmm. there's no way you can match that with an online or even a VR event. It's just not possible.
0: No you're going to want to go out you're going to want to interact again that makes sense
1: but yeah, with, the, with people we need to touch other people that's just the way it is.
0: yeah yeah i completely agree with you uh, but you mentioned the integration with zoom that you guys have so technically like i can still use ticket fairy if i do it through zoom
1: yes yeah yeah so so th- this is the thing so what the way we built our online events feature you still get all the other features that the physical events have. see that's the difference Mm-hmm. Like everything we do for physical events, you automatically get all those features that we've built over the years for the online event as well. It's not just a paywall with a stream link. You get all the data, you get all the interactivity stuff, you get all the management stuff, like all the ad integrations. That's where I think that like kind of, we just, we didn't go like 100% all in on like, this is a standalone online events platform. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, it's gonna, you're not gonna change, you're not gonna have to change your workflows as an event organizer if you were using as a physical. You're just going to, your, your event page is going to work slightly differently. And the way you produce your event is going to work slightly differently, but everything you've ever done, ever done in the past that you would do, if you're running a physical festival, you can still do. And I think that's really important.
0: What I really like about your company. Normally I talk to entrepreneurs, founders who have a service, but your service is online. First of all, and also your reach, you're trying to reach a mass audience. You're trying to reach as many people as possible. So in my head, because you're trying to do that, your processes and the way you go about things is very different from, let's say, me trying to get a marketing client. So yes. I, I just wanted to know if you can give us a little insight like behind the scenes of Ticket Ferry and kind of the processes behind it to reach people on such a massive level.
1: So we're really lucky in the sense that We don't have to spend crazy money marketing marketing to end user consumers who are buying tickets Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: in 99% of scenarios, we're the exclusive platform for, for a specific event. So all of their marketing is driving their customers and then our features then amplify that traffic and get more reach. But we're really lucky that the seed traffic that comes to us comes from our clients and then we can enhance it and, and, and create additional revenue streams and increase the reach and, and, and all of that nice stuff. So that's really cool
2: mm-hmm.
1: because, and that means our focus can be majority B2B. And then it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, how do we take what we built? How do you, the, the biggest problem with the industry in terms of like traditional ticketing is getting in the room because, because there are a hundred other platforms that are not necessarily differentiated every nightclub has got them hassling them has a hundred companies hassling them every single week going, can you meet mm-hmm. us? Can you meet us? Well, we'll give you a million bucks if you sign with us over ticket ferry or over Eventbrite or whatever. Like that's the way things get done because there's no other differentiation. And we've never done that. You know, we've never said to someone cause we just didn't have the money <laughs> cause you can't do that. <laughs> You're going, we'll be lucky if we, if we cover our costs this month.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you kind of go all right well we just have to build the best product possible and and it's been it's it, it, like when you have resource constraints you do that you kind of you listen to the market you talk to your customers you make sure that you're building something that adds so much value that someone looks at it and goes that's a no-brainer i have to work with you and and that's what i think we've got to now and, and um you know when you think about it like that then stuff starts happening with word of mouth and Clients talk to other people who recommend you mm-hmm. and then we can start doing like a little bit of, of, of you know, ad spend and, and, and outbound marketing, but I would hope that working like that means that, you know, we kind of go, all right, now there's a nightclub that's going to sell a million tickets a year and they're going to, they're going to look at what we've done and go, this is amazing. And that actually happened the other day and it was really cool. <laughs> So
0: when you were talking about your company in 2011, 2014, you were kind of like, yeah, it was tough. And now you're talking about it. You're talking about all your accomplishments. So my question to you is, do you think you're successful right now? Not yet. Oh, how come?
1: I, it's, it's difficult because like, as someone who's building a, a vision of like where you see industry needs to get to, Mm -hmm. it still has a lot of problems. And when I say industry, I mean live events industry, right? So it's like, there are still loads of challenges. There's still a lot of stuff that is unsolved. Um, There are things that my brother and I have envisioned to build to really help the industry that we haven't managed to roll out yet. And the thing is, is that it's a constant competition with yourself as well, where you're kind of like, you know what, there's this really cool thing that Mm -hmm. we can do but it needs five really cool things to be implemented before we can do that sixth really cool thing, which oh. we think is the most amazing one, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's always the way tech's going to be. You just have to go with the dependencies and and, and get, to, get to your targets. And so, no, I, I definitely don't think that we're successful yet, but do I think that we have really good brand equity? Do, do I think that the events industry thinks that we're different from everyone else? And do I think that they feel that we're almost like a partner for them than a company that's trying to ask them for ask them to be to to pay us. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do, I do. I, I kind of you know I did did this demo the other day, and it was to a nightclub that sells a million tickets a year, and they don't need to say nice things, and they said to, they said to my face, "What you just showed us is like nothing else we've seen compares to it, and this will help us." And that's a very different. Process to trying to sell something to someone. If I'm yeah. trying to convince someone, please use us, please use us. That's very different to someone saying to your face, we want to work with you because we can see that this is beneficial to us. Like that's really different.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also because of the industry that you're in, like there's so much room to grow. Oh, you know, cute. you can literally t- service all the live events across the whole world.
1: <laughs> totally, totally. And there are, there are regions that are still developing that. I mean, we really early on,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we were scoping out the market in India and like, you know, partly it's because that's our background, but partly it was kind of like you know, 1.4 billion people
0: yeah.
1: in the country. And the average age of the people in the country is like 25. Really? It's a young country.
0: Oh my gosh, I did not know that.
1: And there are like really cool festivals and live events. It's just not mainstream, mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, this is such a cool place to kind of take the technology, talk mm-hmm. to the to the people that have already started throwing shows. You know, we started talking to people that were touring people from the UK and Europe and America into India, into these like 100, 200 capacity clubs. and And you kind of, You know where it can go to. And if you're just even the the dominant platform in India, that's a billion dollar company straight away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That is So what are your plans for like 2021?
1: 2021 is going to be really interesting because as each region reopens,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I think we're going to see a a replication of what happened in New Zealand. And there's a lot of, ticketing contracts that will expire in that time, in that process
2: mm. where like
1: people were locked into using an Everbright for the next three years or five years or, or whatever. And, and and that's what's been great about COVID. Well, there's been one thing that's been good about COVID. Obviously it's not a good thing. Yeah, um, Is that people had time to reflect on their technology choices, on how they're gonna reinvigorate their business once once the pandemic is over. Um, you know, you really think about it. You kind of go, I'm a festival promoter who's been doing things for a decade and now all my hard work is potentially gone. So how do I stop that from happening? Yeah. And you start to think about what's going to happen on the other side. And we found that people have been so much more open with their time and their conversations. And, and, and so 2021 is going to be really interesting.
0: Yeah. You've had time to show people what you guys are all about, which is key, because there's so much to show.
1: <laughs> there is, there is. It's, it's funny, because I'll like demo to, to really big companies, like big publicly listed companies, and they'll just be like, this is really cool. And I'm like, thank you.
0: <laughs> that must feel so nice. Yeah, I love that. Good. I love that that's part of your story. So just to wind down a little bit, I am curious, what does a day in your life look like?
1: um well first of all we we're in so many regions across so many time zones that everything happens in every time zone so Mm, so fun it is but when you're in the middle of the jungle at a rave and there's a bug and you have to push it to production on your phone that gets really interesting i've done that (laughs) you're in the middle of the desert The desert, the jungle, it's been like, like it really varies, like, you know. Raves,
0: they'll literally be anywhere.
1: Yeah, so like any given day, it could be investor conversations, it could be writing code, it could be working on customer onboarding. It's like, you know, two hours of strategy talk uh, with with my brother, Um, checking in with the sales team. I might be doing conversion optimization on the landing page. We might be in uh, a team call talking about how we improve our onboarding processes. I mean, it's, it's literally everything. Like, no day is the same ever, ever, ever.
0: That makes it so exciting, though.
1: It does, but if you're someone who's a control freak and needs to be able to plan every moment of your day, it's just not going to work. And uh-huh. like, you is your be brother
0: like that? I feel like <laughs> I feel like there was some uh, <laughs> experience in that remark.
1: <laughs> well he's he's very much like me in the sense that like we have long-term goals and thinking the way the way we work um so we're very similar in many ways and then he but he's also a, a person that loves structure and process and planning
2: mm-hmm.
1: um where like you know he has predictability on what's going to happen and obviously it's a startup so we don't have predictability on what's going to happen so like within he, he's very much like a well what what is a is within his control he wants to be able to be a little bit more meticulous about it and, and, and plan um, whereas i'm kind of like i'll just book a flight somewhere and <laughs> things will happen and i don't know what's going to happen and, and you'll
0: get investors and right everything will happen yeah, yeah. of
1: course and, and and the thing is is that like that can be a little hard to deal with because it's just so open-ended mm-hmm. Um, so, but it, but it's great because what happens is that I'm also grounded by the fact that he, if I'm going a little bit too crazy or if I'm going, if I'm like, just, if I'm too much on the unstructured side, he can pull me back down.
0: You guys compliment each other.
1: So it's it's really good.
0: Mm, that is good.
1: And so he's I, also hyper intelligent. So like there are things <laughs> that I wouldn't think of and he will, and it's, it's a perfect balance.
0: Yeah and you guys get along which is good you guys are brothers yeah. so you always have to forgive each other so it's it's a great match
1: <laughs> and the thing is is that we went through so much in the previous companies that we did together mm-hmm. that it's kind of like a, there is so much implicit trust that it's like anything can happen and we can overcome it and that's just so important
0: yeah so just to wrap up this conversation i don't want to take up any more of your time and i ask this question to all of my guests so this podcast is called the no formula podcast because there is no single formula to success so my question to you is what do you think is your formula that got you to where you are today
1: i think just being obsessed with creating the best company it's a really generic answer, but like, we are literally obsessed with it.
2: Like,
1: <laughs> I am not present in most of my conversations because I'm distracted with like a, oh, what if we do this? Or what if we do this? Or we need to, uh, this needs to happen. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not the best way to have a personal life. But it's, I'll be very honest. Um, but, uh, but we are just li- just so focused on creating the best value possible for the live events industry that um there is no formula you're right Mm -hmm. but if you have just this one end goal in mind you can weave around everything until you get there
0: Ooh, such a great answer well ritesh it was so great talking to you i love this conversation um and i really hope that we get to chat soon because i i want to be there when you guys are an overnight success in two years
1: (laughs) I have loved having this chat. Um, I'm sure that at some point I will be somewhere around the world where I've booked a random flight, and I'll see you across the room. I'll be like, "Hey, it's you!" And it will be very organic and unplanned, and it'll be nice.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's what happened to you before. It's gonna happen to us. I don't doubt it. <laughs> but thank you very much, and we'll definitely chat soon.
1: Amazing. Speak soon.
0: Before ending this episode, I want to highlight my favorite parts of the interview with Ritesh. 1. Ticket Ferry started in 2011. Ritesh and his brother kept working on their dream, and 9 years later it seems like they are making waves in the industry. I am so sure the platform will take off even more because of this consistency. 2. I love that one of their biggest markets is New Zealand, the only place with live events during the pandemic. I absolutely love that this happened to them. 3. Ritesh's story about getting funding seems lucky. However, had he not put himself out there, it would have never happened. So in a way, this proves that we create our own luck. And 4. I like Ritesh's strategy of working on the platform without making too much noise about it in a super competitive industry, this seems like a very good strategy to throw the competition off guard. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe.